When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. And me, Fee Glover. And we are fresh from our brand new Times Radio show, but we just cannot be contained by two hours of live broadcasting. So we've kept the microphones on, grabbed a cuppa and are ready to say what we really think. Unencumbered and Off Air. Hello and welcome to Off Air with... With you, Fee Glover, and me, Jane Garvey. Oh, oh that's throwing me completely. No, it's good. That worked, that worked well. That sounded like a little bit like the beginning of the one show, which, uh, <laughs> if I hurry, oh. I'll get home to catch. No, we don't have to sit on each other's knees, do we? <laughs> it's still going, the one show. I do occasionally see it. And, well, because I'm waiting for, you know, I'm just about to cross, o- cross over to the other side, Channel 4 News, and sometimes you get a little bit of a glimpse of the one show so far. But Alex Jones, she is still she's still good, and she's there with a whole cross-section of televisual humanity these days. You yeah. never know who she's going to be on with. She's got 27 gears, and all of them are smooth. Yeah. She's very, she's yeah, very she's polite very as well to everybody, because, yeah. I mean, my eyes would just go boss-eyed with incredulity sometimes. <laughs> Right, anyway, yes. back to our show. Yes. How are you? Yes, all right. Wednesday's always... I think it's hump day for a reason, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Everybody feels a little bit better when Wednesday's over. Yeah, we've yeah. broken the back of the week and we always have Wellness Wednesday now on our show, which is just turning into a hilarious feature where we just don't really get anywhere with anything. Well, um, so the first week there was the lady espousing the idea that you should have your tea at five o'clock and no later. What was week two? can't remember no i can't um it can't be anything to do with improving your memory at least i hope it wasn't uh and today uh it was mushroom coffee which is actually available in any number of good high street stores probably some ropey high street stores and i did try to drink a relatively large amount of the mug but there was a sort of skin forming on the top by the time i'd yeah, by the time we got to about five past three, it was not at its peak. I know, and but the woman who was telling us oh, about no, it, looked she looked amazing. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? So She's you know, probably bathing in it right now. Yep. And actually, when I mentioned mushroom coffee, uh, I did. I was inundated. Oh, it was as, cold water swimming last week. Oh, that's right. We know we quite liked him, didn't we? Mm, we thought he was good. Uh, I was inundated. So in other words, I had two DMs uh, from people saying, no, don't knock it, actually. It's a, it is a really is a really good thing mm. and that fungi is the future so 
uh, I, I, I might take the mushroom coffee home with me and give it another whirl. OK, we'll see if you start your Thursday with a big, big mug of mushroom coffee and let me know how you get on. OK, it was slightly unfortunate that the first sip you took had grit in it. So you could continue. tickle in the back of my throat. actually huh? continue with the item. I thought I was going to have my first Times Radio on-air coughing fit. Although they happen, let's face it. I mean, everybody, everybody has them wherever they go. Um, have you... I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the papers today, inevitably, about Rishi Sunak, who is... Uh, Britain's Prime Minister. I don't expect uh, listeners outside the United Kingdom to be gripped by this. But nevertheless, it's big news for us here. And the thing about Rishi Sunak is he's following Liz Truss, who I always thought um, she had her knockers, but she looked very smart. She always looked smart, did Liz. Uh, she wore a lot of sort of close-fitting uh, dresses and she's um, she always looked like she was, well, playing the part of a Prime Minister, frankly. And before that, we had Mr Boris Johnson, who was... Not so high in my estimation, sartorially, because he always looked like he had just sort of rolled out of wherever he'd spent the night and someone had helped him into a jacket and trousers. But it never really, he didn't carry it off for me. Whereas Mr Sunak, Anna Murphy in The Times today is saying that he's the sharpest dresser we've ever had at 10 Downing Street. Now, do you think that that says something very good about him or something not so good about him? You mean that a man shouldn't care too much about how he looks? Yes. You see, I would say that if we're going to judge a female politician by her appearance, we must do the same for a man. And I am in, I'm enjoying the fact that when I next see Britain's Prime Minister in a line-up of global leaders, he won't look like a sack of spuds. Yeah. So I agree that you should be presentable for whatever job it is that you're undertaking and if you're on a global stage and you're always going to be photographed you should have a bit of a think about that yeah you should um but i'm i don't know whether i don't know whether i like the really intense amount of attention being spent on how rishi sunak looks well and how tall he is yeah and uh you know what he does with his hair and how much that might cost and all that i find that actually a bit too distracting already do you? I, I think it's, I don't know. I mean, Anna talks about how he's doing his best to look statesmanlike at five foot six. And you're right. We probably shouldn't make too much of this. I mean, he's certainly a lot taller than either either of us. Um, but Anna says Sunak's approach is the fashion crowd's favourite cropped trousers. Um, these are the trues that just end before your shoes start, leaving a, a gap of a, a, a couple of centimetres. Yeah. yeah. And this is a trick that apparently makes your legs look longer. Yes, you're doing it now. Uh, Winston Churchill was the same height as, as Sunak. And did he expose his ankles? He didn't, no. Mm. But we do know that he would regularly give briefings naked in the bath, uh, Winston Churchill. So I'm not necessarily sure that he's an example that we should all follow in that respect, although I don't want emails from big fans of Winston Churchill, who I know did many good things and some not so good. Mm. Do you think that Rishi Sunak might start dressing down a bit? Because the problem with the level at which he's dressing is that he's wearing very identifiable fashion items that you can immediately find on the yeah. internet. I never know how people do that. Though. Know the exact price of his yeah, Prada loafers or his that? Hermes suit or whatever. Well, well, I think you just take a photograph and you put it into the so there's the, a the Shazam for search yeah. for fashion, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So he's going to get flack if he continues, and flack if he doesn't. If he turns up, um, you know, in a in a thirty quid suit from Zara, then there'll be a story about that now as well. Yeah. And okay. I think it is a little bit distracting. I'm totally with you on needing to look right for the part. All hail to him for that. Mm. 
but I just I think there's I think, quite a lot on at the moment, Jane. I'd like him to get a crack on with that. Well, I would suggest that he goes to Blue Harbour at Marks and Spencers and seeks out some of their sensible tops. <laughs> um, and I think that would be sending a message. All the right sort of messages will be received if I see him in a Blue Harbour striped, horizontal striped... Like a Breton shirt. jumper. Or a Breton. Breton jumper's dodgy, I think. There's, Do a, you? there's a hint of Hello Sailor about them, which doesn't always... I mean, Ted Heath could have carried it off, but I'm not so sure about Well, it. and also that just invites another article about how the horizontal stripe does no favours for the vertically challenged. Thanks to the three or four people who absolutely showered me with advice on how to deal Have with my cat. you been inundated? Totally <laughs> inundated. Uh, people slid into my DMs and elsewhere to tell me that what I needed to do to discipline my rescue cat, Tabby Dora, is to spray her with water. I've tried it, it doesn't work. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Our big guest today was Nick Grimshaw, who used to be the host of the Radio 1 Breakfast Show, but is also a man about town. Back in the day, he was all over Channel 4 as part of the intense youth venture in the 1990s. And he's also got the most incredible celebrity friends address book. He was always falling out of Kate Moss's house and into Sadie's house and lighting and a then scented candle with Lily Allen. It was just an extraordinary time for him. Yeah. And he's written a little book about it. Uh, which has got a lovely title, hasn't it? Yeah, it's called Soft Lad. And actually, it's a very engaging memoir, this. And slightly unusually for recent memoirs that I've read, it's a relatively... He had, he had a happy childhood. He had that rare thing, a kind, loving, funny family who really nurtured his eccentricities. And I really like that about the book, and I like it about him. But he did tell us, um, right at the start of our conversation, that he wasn't sure he'd be able to write the book. So the first chapter, which he sent to the publisher, was all about how he wasn't sure he'd be able to complete it. So I think you asked very cleverly how that went down with the publishers. 
Yeah, I didn't love it at first. <laughs> no. But do you know what? I I, uh, I have a terrible attention span and I had this sort of momentous task to do of sitting and writing a book. And when I sat down to do it, Sundays it just sort of flew out of me and it was really great. And I was like, great. And then they were like, okay, now we just need like 65,000 more oh, words. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And then sometimes you just couldn't do it and you'd sit and like weeks had passed and I was like, like, you know, I've, I was going mad thinking that I can't do it. I've got nothing to say. I can't write at all. I, I can't do it. And then one night at like half nine, I was like, do you know what? Just to get that this, just to get writing, let me write exactly how I feel right now. And how I felt at that moment was I hate this book and it's do my head in and everyone's going to hate it and it's going to be rubbish. Do buy next book. It's a great sell. It's a great opener. But I thought, let me just write that just to like get it off my chest. And then actually it sort of cleared some sort of blockage. In a way, as a radio presenter, you protect yourself from all of that, don't you? Because you can choose when the microphone goes on exactly how much of yourself you want to put out there. And often the joy of it is that you can put a shinier, happier, nicer version mm-hmm. of yourself on air. So when you sat down to write the book, did you deliberately have to make that gear change? Did you have a sense of how much you were going to tell people? Not not really. Like, I love that feeling on a Saturday or a Sunday when you get the supplements and you can sort of flick through and, like, read all different things. Like, that's, I, that's my optimum weekend feeling of just flicking through bits. So I wanted to make a book that was like that, that had sort of snapshots of stories of my life. And I wanted to be honest, so I, I definitely wanted to not just portray like it's hilarious interviewing pop stars and parties are fun like I wanted to talk about growing up and how important my family were and how they shaped me and um I guess it's like all different stories I guess the common threads like transitions it's sort of me figuring out who I was and figuring out my sexuality and then the transition from going from like suburbia to the city from the north to the south and um, but I, 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 I didn't want it to be all Everything's perfect, mm. no. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family, because it's intriguing. You're much younger than your siblings, mm. aren't you? Yeah, so I, I technically I'm not an only child, because I have an uh, older brother and older sister, but they're 11 and 13 years older than me. So I sort of grew up feeling like an only child, because when I was like four, they were like 15 and 17 or 15 and 18. So they were like, they're not like, they're such adults to you when you're five. So I never like played with them. So I did grow up feeling like an only child, but I never felt lonely or anything. They always included me and I was expected to always be able to talk to adults and hang out with their friends or hang out with mum and dad's friends. But there's a lot about my family and, and how they shaped me. And I'd never really thought about that until... I had to sit and write about it. So that would shape you in an extraordinary way. Yeah. Because you were just privy to so much adult life Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't ordinarily have been privy to. Yeah. And like the music and stuff, you know, like my dad would be like on the school run would be like Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald. So I'd be like going to school (laughs) singing those songs. But it does sound like a very lovely childhood, Mm. actually. A really happy family. Mm. And your dad's job. Will you just tell us about your dad's job? Yeah. The fruits. Yeah. So my dad, so my dad, um, he was born in 1941 and he was born uh, my my gran raised him as like a single mom in the in the 40s and and 50s and i think he got a job when he was like 14 or something he was like that's it so he sort of became like the man of the house super young um, and he was a proper grafter and really really worked hard and always had a job and was obsessed with you know having a work ethic and 
was having a work ethic. And um, yeah, he worked in sales for like frozen food for like Nestle. And they looked after like fab 80s and 90s brands like Lean Cuisine yes. and like Finder's oh. Crispy Pancakes. And uh, please, we, it's the French bread pizza. Uh, French bread pizza, oh. which no, I thought was, was like, I thought it was like so chic that we were having yeah. like a pizza. I bet you didn't have that at home, did you? We did have it. Well, we <laughs> did. We had quite a lot of Finder's. Was, was no, the advertising legend success on a plate for you? Was that Oh, Finders? was that Finder's? I think that was Finder's. I don't remember, but we used to, gr- we basically grew up on exclusively frozen Finder's food. And my brother, my brother had more of it because my brother was born in the seventies and he thinks the reason he's bald is because he exclusively ate frozen food. <laughs> and he's like really angry at my mum and dad. Um, but yeah, they, they, um, my dad used to get all like knockoff like Finder stuff. So I write all in the book about all the stuff that we used to have like for our tea. We'd have like, you know, um, like a faulty Kit Kat. Or maybe, oh, yeah, you know, and it's not got the wafer in. Mm. Oh, yeah, the solid chocolate. <laughs> or a solid that was one. That a rumour. Such yeah. a But they existed. Yeah, they did exist. Yeah, yeah, loads of them in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so into this uh, lovely, uh, warm, close family mm-hmm. is uh, little Nick, who's realising that uh, maybe he doesn't have the same reaction to the calendars that other parents mm. are buying their young boys every Christmas. Yeah. Uh, talk us through that element uh, yeah. of real realizing something about yourself yeah so i i remember it uh mid 90s probably when i was like 11 so like yeah like 1995 was like everything felt very laddie and the culture was very like alpha laddie and i didn't feel like a lad and it felt like there was um all these like an array of magazines like nuts and zoo and fhm and everyone was obsessed at school even when we were like 11 in first year secondary school of what calendar are you gonna get what are you gonna have a calendar and i like could never i always used to have to be like oh my god i've got to get a calendar of a lady i I just had no sexual desire whatsoever so i'd sort of pick a lady that i thought would disguise the fact that he didn't fancy ladies So I went for Kylie right. because I thought she's heterosexual. <laughs> she's very for the straights. And I didn't realise that Kylie was actually really camp. And anyone that I loved, I didn't realise was camp. Like I loved Tina Turner. And I thought Tina Turner was like a good cover for a gay. And also Jerry Halliwell and Kylie. It's like the gayest people ever. Or was like Madonna. She's quite good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> actually, Madonna played quite an interesting part though, didn't she? She in, did. In coming out for you. The, the there are a couple of passages, Nick, in the book where you talk about it's, it's essentially your terrible guilt that your religious upbringing made mm. you feel about who you are. And they're, I mean, they're serious passages, aren't they? It's, yeah. It was a serious thing for you. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So we, we grew up like Roman Catholic and I went to two Roman Catholic schools and we do <clears throat> like, you know, church every weekend as a family. And then I'd never seen like gays just having a bit of a laugh or a bit of fun or living a normal life but i remember watching a snippet of in bed with madonna and seeing madonna be with gay men and being like wow she's like the most famous person in the world and she loves these gay people so i remember seeing that and it was the first time that i saw gay men having a nice time or just being human just being represented really how much of a difference do you think it would have made to you if the Radio 1 breakfast show in your teenage mm. life had been presented by a fabulous, happy, 
sorted gay man. It would have made a massive difference. It would have made a huge difference. My family definitely weren't homophobic and my brother used to love going to like Canal Street and the gay village in Manchester because he loved going to the clubs there with his girlfriend and they, they loved house music and my brother my dad sorry loved elton and raved about boy george so i don't know there was like bits of gay life but um they always felt like so you know like boy george and elton john were like aliens they didn't feel like they could exist in in normal life so i think hearing someone talk about anything but and they happened to be gay would have made a, a big difference i think growing up you did go, and I think it's very sweet of you, to the football with your dad. Yes. Despite not having... Well, there were elements of it you enjoyed. The journey there, uh -huh. the journey back. Yeah. Uh, flicking through a magazine, uh -huh. which may or may not have featured David Beckham. Yes. I think he was... I, I think I can remember the image that also played a major uh -huh. part in your awakening. Where he, <laughs> he said, perhaps it played a part in my awakening. Where um, he was, he's sitting in a bath. Yeah. And he's just... Pulling his hair. Yeah, because it was such a big thing in our house, football. And um, I, I still love the sound of it. Like, I still love having it on. And if, if football's on on the weekend, I love, if I'm having a roast, having the sound of, like, I don't know, whoever's playing United and Tottenham Hotspur. I love, like, well, the well sound done, of football being on. Um, and I love the feel of it. And I love, like, I love that people love it. So I, I, I'm I'm happy for people to love it, yes, but yes. I personally like find it really boring. Um, and there's just something really nostalgic about it. It was such a big thing in our house. So I used to go with my dad and my brother, and my brother would go and sit in the Stretford end, which my dad would say was for yobs and not proper football fans. So he'd sit with like the proper football fans who, even if United won, my dad would be like, they didn't deserve it. You know, he was like, I like hard, sports. Hard, school, yeah. Yeah. Whereas my brother was like, let's have a fight. Um, <laughs> and um, so I'd go and, and I'd really try. And every time I'd go, I'd be like, maybe I'll like it this week. I'm going to really concentrate. But I can't, I can't do, I don't think anything should be 90 minutes. It's too long. How long was your breakfast show? Like, it's so long. I'd get bored <laughs> halfway through. And then I, I wrote about in the book, me trying to get into football. And, and I used to love magazines and I still love magazines. And one week I was like, let me get a football magazine. And I'll flick through it and I'll like, I'll find, I'll figure it out. Because it was all anyone talked about at school. And I flicked through and I saw this image that really struck me and I'd never seen anything like it. And I was young, so it, I didn't realise it was a sexual awakening. I was young, I was so young that I just was like mystified by it. Like it was like looking at like a nice sunset or something or like, wow, look at that horse. Or something. like, wow, look at its mane. And it was a picture of David Beckham in a bath and it was like black and white and it was just like him after he'd played football. And I remember taking it to my mum and being like, wow, look at this. Like, how amazing is this? Like, it's beautiful. And my mum being like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. And I was like, please, can I put it on my wall? Because my dad was like very particular about what we had on our walls. And like, you know, dads were mad for like sellotape on wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah big yeah. sin. So my mum was like, go and ask your dad. And I went out and found him. And he was like, you know, doing a conifer like dads do. Or, uh, doing a conifer. Doing a conifer of a weekend up a ladder with a tr hedge trimmer. Man work. Man work. And I was like... That was a euphemism there. I wasn't <laughs> sure. Doing a conifer. And I was like, please, can I put this up? And his only concern was not using sellotape. He was like, yeah, but use blue tack. And I remember like getting it and pulling it out and, and putting it on my wall. And 
Like that was a massive moment of realization where I was like, oh, I do like something footbally, but the reason I like it is because it's David Beckham, and David Beckham's face was like man you know like it was like the perfect representation of a man and then i was like um, maybe i fancy man we're in conversation with nick grimshaw he's written his autobiography it's called soft lad and it tells us more about the amazing journey he's made from growing up in oldham eating kit kats to popping round to kate moss's place well it was it was a it was a mad time really like when i first went to london my family were you know we didn't know anyone that had like gone to london or anyone that had worked in media or a creative industry and they thought I was mad and I didn't really know what the job was my mum and dad didn't know what MTV was and I was there to be an intern um in the international creative department and they were like what's that and I was like I I actually don't know so I went to London on a whim because I really was precise about wanting to host the radio on breakfast show and I just knew I needed to get to London as like my first step so when I got there I was working at MTV I didn't know anyone in London, I knew two people who were living in London, but they were in Mexico and they let me live in their flat. Um, and the deal was you can live in our flat for free if you fly up for our club and you do the door at our club. So I'd work at MTV like Monday to Friday and then on a Friday night, I'd like go fly her in and I'd do the door at their club and stuff. And then like go into the club and make sure people got in. And um, I don't know, it was just a, f- a funny time. I don't know if it's because... I don't know what was in the air, but one by one, everyone sort of had like a mission. I don't know if it's because I attracted outsiders because I was one or maybe because I was on my own. I attracted other people who were on their own with a little mission. But everyone sort of ended up having a a, a dream and, and not in a annoying way of like, let's hang out and fulfill our dreams. Like no one talked about careers. You know, like one by one, one of my friends became like a model or my friend became like a fashion designer. And then we'd we'd met Amy Winehouse from just bumbling around Camden, like before she'd brought out rehab. You know, she wasn't like the famous Amy Winehouse. And then all of a sudden she got really famous. And then all of a sudden I met this guy, Jack, and his backing singer was Adele. And now Adele's Adele Adele. So it's sort of all mad happened really, honestly, by accident. And... It was like a, it was a bit like the pub that we'd all go to. It was a bit like in Cheers. Like you could go at any time and the same people would be there and there'd be all sorts of people there. And because I didn't know anyone, that was like my meeting point. Like that was, the, that was the only place that I knew to go and I'd know that I'd meet people and bump into people. Yeah. I mean, lots of people speak about that kind of time in London, that creative. I don't know what it was. I mean, you're, you're, if you're struggling to find words for it, I certainly would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but did you have a sense at that time that your life uh, was, I don't know, you, you were part of something that was really defining a whole creative thing in the country? Did you feel that? No, feel not, that not at all. Not at all. I didn't feel that at all. And it's funny now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing um, a book event with Makita um, Oliver, who um, I used to do channel four with t4 with and it's funny now like if we're out people will be like oh my god like young people they're like i used to watch you guys on t4 and like read about you and me and makita like never really thought that people ever watched it and i think because we didn't have an instagram we didn't overthink oh yeah you know like who are we what are we doing we were like we'll just go to t4 do that and then we'll go to the pub and i don't know i don't know if it was the lack of social media that made us less conscious 
about what we looked like or what we were doing or, or documenting stuff. We just sort of got on with it. Your mum and dad came along for the ride as well, which is one of the mm. bits in the book that I enjoyed the most, where they would actually accompany you to showbiz events. On one occasion, Lady Gaga asked your dad for a bit of advice about her breasts. Yes, she, she yeah. did. Yeah, I always like mixing people together and, and including all sorts of people and I've liked that since I was a kid and um, so anytime I'd get invited to some at Fab I'd be like oh my god my mum would love this or my dad would love this so they should come and when they come down to visit me in London when I started doing telly they still didn't get it because they they didn't have sky they had like four channels or maybe maybe they had maybe they had channel five maybe they had five channels but they didn't know what e4 was or or mtv at all so when they'd come down to london i'd say like come with me to e4 and come and see what we're doing and um they'd be like oh we don't want to go to that we don't want to and um one day i dragged them in and i was interviewing lady gaga and she just released just dance and it was when she was just the fame was like simmering and she was about to become you know the huge mega pop star she is and um we went to this like quite rubbish little tv studio in in west london and when we got there there was just like one dressing room and because i was with my mum and dad gaga was like oh my god get mum and dad in here, bring them in. She's like, I don't need the dressing room. She's like, I don't even wear any clothes, so come in. And she went to do a performance with with gaffer tape on her nipples. And she found, like, you know, the hilarity in the situation of, like, two OAPs from Oldham and her, like, direct from some club in New York with gaffer tape on her nipples. And she was really like, Daddy. Called him Daddy. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, that. Really creepy. (laughs) Daddy, are my nipples covered? And he was like, yeah. You're all right, love. <laughs> but you know what? For the rest of the time, he, he, he was like, she did the performance and obviously it was amazing. And he was like, yeah, fair play. It was all right, that. That's what he was like. Yeah, it's all right. But for the rest of the time, he'd refer to her as me mate Gaga. So he'd call and be like, hey, me mate Gaga's on Jonathan Ross tonight. I tell you what, it's a lesson in where your kids' lives can take your own. It's <laughs> a long way from a faulty kick that. It is. Um, can we move on to the Radio 1 breakfast show? Yes. I mean, it's extraordinary, Nick, that you were managing to do uh, a very demanding job whilst you had this extraordinary social life. I mean, getting up at, what, 3.30 in the morning? No. No, he never no, got up No, early. never got there early. Like five. Five, okay. Five's even, fine. Even five. I mean, there must have been quite a few mornings uh, where... I mean, how shall I put this? You might have still been over the limit. You yes. might have still been intoxicated. Yeah. Yes. I, this was my rule with going out and going to the radio. I thought it was fine to go on air with a hangover or still a bit, you know. Woozy. Woozy. If it was an event that the country had been part of. So like the Brit Awards. I don't think I could do it and be like, I've been around my friend Fees and got drunk. It's like not the same. So I think if it was part, if I'd been to an award show that was on the telly or there was, I don't know, Wimbledon was on and then we talked on the radio like, we're going to a party after Wimbledon with something. I think it was fine because it sort of carried on the narrative for everyone to be part of. So definitely after the Brits, not on purpose, every year to say, I'm not doing it this year. And I think we did it about three times in, in six years. So 50-50 where we'd not gone to sleep and gone straight through. And it is quite fun till about 8 a.m. Yeah. And then everyone starts getting really tired and you've got to still be on the radio. So all the people that came in who were like, that's so funny, yeah, are like, yeah, I don't like it now. Like, there's people arriving in the office. And they smell. You, you smell. Yeah, and it's smelly and they don't like it. But I will say my two producers thought they were being really smart one year. Matt and Fee, and they 
were like, we are going to go to... It was like four o'clock in the morning, or maybe a bit earlier. Maybe it's two o'clock in the morning. And they went, we're going to leave now and we're going to go to Radio 1 and we're going to go to sleep and we're going to wake up at six and start the show. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay. So I stayed out. I get in. I go to start the show at six. No mat, no fee. <laughs> they had decided to sleep on, unbeknown to me, sleep on different floors of the BBC. So they weren't there and then just slept through their alarms and woke up at like quarter to eight. So I was on air hosting the radio show with like drunk friends and the former producer from the show before who had to look after this mess, car crash of a show. It was her first shift as a producer. So she had to take over and then they sort of came round on like the third floor at 8am and were like, oh my God. So it did happen once or twice. <laughs> you look actually incredibly well. Do I? And I know you went on a wellness retreat with Makita Oliver, who I have to say would <laughs> be my first choice of companion. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's very zen. Is um, she now? Um, no, I think we're quite balanced. I think uh, balance is the key. But yeah, we did go on a juice diet and we did flee. It wasn't for us. Yeah, you escaped. Didn't you? We escaped. We yeah, we fled. And I agree with Jane. You, I thought you were going to look much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Grimshaw, and uh, we enjoyed chatting to him. Um, what I forgot to mention in the interview, but I had noticed in the book, was that his mum, Elaine, uh, has got three kidneys. Now, um, this might seem like a strange detail to cling to. But it's one of those details that once read, never forgotten. Well, you cannot, I mean, for example, I know that Anne Boleyn had three nipples. I wish I didn't know, but I do know and I cannot forget. And she had the funny finger. And she had the funny finger going on. So we don't know how many kidneys Anne Boleyn had, the late Anne Boleyn, if any of her uh, descendants want to contact us. Uh, <laughs> I love that you've added the late Anne Boleyn in case anyone's thinking, oh, Anne Boleyn, is she in EastEnders? <laughs> Is she what is she, is she your own celebrity? She, I always think what brings me great joy from history is that Anne Boleyn, who met a horrible end, lest we forget, at the hands of Henry VIII, um, had the last laugh because she was the mother of Elizabeth I. So, you know, in the end, who's laughing now, eh? Not you, Henry. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, three kidneys. I looked it up. Um, it's a detail in the book, though, not in the interview. It's very, very rare to have three kidneys. Very I, rare indeed. I wonder how you ever find out that you had three kidneys. If only we had asked either of those two <laughs> questions to Mr Grimshaw when we were with him. <laughs> we'll have to book him again. Do you know what? I might just text him, see what he can tell Please us. Please contact us if you have an unusual number of internal organs. <laughs> Uh, please don't send us pictures. No, we don't want images. No, we don't at all. A uh, couple of lovely emails and do keep them coming, as we say in the trade, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Alice says, hello, I love being able to listen to you throughout the week. Hearing Jane mention the warm weather hit a chord with me. Well, with me too, Alice, but mine was F minor. For weeks I've wondered why no one has been mentioning the weather. I found it really unsettling. Surely reaching 20 degrees at the end of October is as newsworthy as topping 40 degrees in the summer. It is. That's my point. Do you think as a society we are oblivious to climate change in action? And that is a very good point, Alice. I'd take that. Yeah. Was that the point that you were trying to make? Yes, I keep... I, I, I feel... <laughs> I wish I'd made it. Um, I wish Alice was actually here now to... Um, help me through life but i i'm not phrasing it as well as alice has done i think it's creepy and i don't understand as alice doesn't understand why more people aren't up in arms or at least just wanting it referenced 
And you do keep referring to the very hot Halloween, which yeah. Deborah has identified as being in 2014. And she says, we were on holiday in Litham St Anne's at the time. Not surprised you thought it was 10 or 15 years ago, though, as we've had enough news just in the past six weeks to last us a decade. <laughs> that's very true, Deborah. It's made everything go quite hazy in the memory, hasn't it? Yeah, Litham St Anne's, that's where I went on my very first holiday ever as a small child and uh, very vivid memories of um, a donkey ride at actually the posher part of Lytham St Anne's, which is a place called Bispam. Mm. I think it's pronounced Bispam. Anyway, it's near Lytham St Anne's. It's a beautiful part of the Lancashire coast. Well worth a visit. Do you think if you were ever ennobled, you'd become Dame, Dame Jane Garvey of Bispam? <laughs> I think that would be good. There was a time when that wasn't really a laughing matter, but now we can just chortle about it. It's not going to bloody happen, is it? There's been absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm going to get anything in Liz Truss's resignation honours. I mean, it's a Do you know what? very small possibility. You would never, ever want to be ennobled as part of Liz Truss's resignation honours. I mean, you, you know, the postman's going to laugh. Everywhere you go, the drop-down menus are going to refuse you. I don't think that's an honour that okay. you want. Right. Well, we should also say that over the last couple of days, we've enjoyed our exchanges with Mr Ed Vasey, who has been uh, sitting in, as we say in Radioland, for Mariella Frostrup. Um, and he's been delighting us in any number of ways, Ed Vasey, because, not least because of the number of ways in which he says the name Mariella Frostrup. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to think it might be deliberate. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the bad news is that Ed is not around tomorrow, but... But in his place is an absolute professional. Libby Purvis is back on Times Radio tomorrow. Mm. Uh, do you think that Ed Vasey knows that out here in the newsroom, where, where all the production staff sit and where we sit before we go into mm. the studio, there are large television screens of what happens in the studio <laughs> today? He knows. Spent about 10 minutes. Everybody, everyone stopped to watch him eat a pot of Bircher muesli. Yeah, and no one looks good eating Bircher muesli, um, whatever the circumstances, and uh, it's very, very difficult to eat. But, but you know, the expressions on his face were just beautiful. I, mean, I don't think it was from curiosity spot. to slight revulsion to shall I continue? <laughs> but it was just... Let's just pack it in. Some of the best TV I've seen this month. Yeah. Well, so I might write about that in my so far not so award winning Radio Times column. Um, yes, watch out, Ed. You're on screen eating your muesli. Probably a little bit in this, isn't it? But actually, it, how does nobody look good eating? It doesn't matter who you are. And I speak as somebody who squirted a load of pesto juice all over a bright pink top and looks like a toddler. So I'm a fine one to talk. I didn't even know there was such a thing as pesto juice. Well, there is in my this chicken pesto bap that I'm currently having for my lunch. Yeah. I've become rather addicted. I'm already thinking about tomorrow's. You are having the same every day. Are yeah. you actually a bot? <laughs> I think I might think I might be a bot. <laughs> right. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, you can keep the emails coming. We appreciate every single one of them. It's Jane and Fee at Times.radio. Goodbye. Nice pause there. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye.
Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com